Hi, uh, I'm John, without an H. Uh, it's from Jonathan. I think I know most of you here. Um, most of you know me as well. If you don't, uh, my, oh, my name's John. Um, a little bit about me. I've been married to my wife Claire for eight years now. Uh, we have three children, Reuben, Rebecca and Sarah. Reuben is going to be five in November. Um, starting school this week. It's quite cute, quite excited about that. It's got, it has a little school uniform, got the photos. Um, Rebecca is just over two, she's two in two months, and Sarah is going to be one in October. So that's quite exciting. Um, I work in Solihull as a maths teacher. I'm a secondary maths teacher, and so I'm back at work tomorrow. Uh, I know, it's sad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Educate those young minds, come on. Um, so let's just praise yourself with God. Um, you're just amazing. You're pretty cool. Whew. Just help us to hear what you have to say. Just, I just pray that you would just say some really good things to us today, that I would speak really clearly and boldly, because I should do, and we would all listen attentively and carefully, and that we would have a good time. And we would learn lots. Right, so I'm, I thought I'd just go for a small topic today. What is the will of God? <laughs> so this is a phrase which people use quite a lot. It gets used throughout history, across the world. People use this phrase, the will of God. It's used to, it's used to justify all kinds of things, from, from, from actions which have global consequences to the mundane, wars... I justified with this phrase, uh, abuse, discrimination. People say, I got this car parking space because it was the will of God. We use this phrase all the time. What does it mean? Um, is it in the Bible? Is it something as Christians we want to pay attention to? Well, I want to explore what the Bible says about the will of God. What does it mean? Um, what do we think as Christians? What do we think as followers of Jesus? What do we think of people who believe what the Bible says? What do we think about this phrase, the will of God? Is there such a thing? Um, can we know it? If we can know it, can we understand it? If we understand it, can we explain it? Does it affect us as individuals? Is it something we need to be bothered about? Um, does it affect us as a church? Well, it turns out that the Bible, unsurprisingly, does have a lot to say about the will of God. God has plans. God has purposes. God has desires, things that he wants to achieve. And to know if, if a specific thing is the will of God, first of all, we have to get some context to it. We have to see the big picture. Um, so first of all, thinking about values. Like what are God's values? So what things does God hold as primary as primary importance? Um, what are his values? What things are important to him? And from those values comes a vision. So based on these things which I think are important, what do I want to then achieve? What are, my, what are the things which I want to achieve? What are my long-term goals? So based on my long-term goals, that then affects my actions, what I do day to day, because I want to go and achieve the things which I want to achieve in the long term. And it's the same for us. We have values, things which we think are important to us, and that determines what we want to do, the kind of stuff we want to do with our lives, and where we want our lives to go, that affects the individual steps we take. So, for example, for me, a value 
that I have. I think it's, it's important that I honour the promise that I made um, to love my wife regardless of all circumstances. So that's a value that's of core importance to me. Um, so my vision from that is I want to be the best husband I can be. I want my, life, my wife to be loved. And that then determines day-to-day choices that I make. Um, another is, is, is my children. My children have vast amount of value to me. That's a value that I have. So the vision I have for their lives is I want them to be parented really, really well. And so that determines the kind of decisions that I make every day. Um, so what are God's values? What are his core principles? Um, so based on what his core principles are, what, what vision does he have for his creation? What does he want to do with this? What is he setting out to achieve? What's the point of it? And based upon like what he wants this to do, that then determines the individual steps that he takes. What activities is he going to do to help him meet that aim? So what I want to mainly talk about is the second one. That is, what is his vision? What does he want to do? And from that we can deduce his values and we can also think about a particular thing or an event or an activity. Is that Does that fit into God's long-term strategy? Um, so then we can think about whether it is the will of God. Um, so if we're going to ask some big questions, why not start with some really, really big questions? Why are we here? Yeah, why are we here? What's the point of it all? Well, we're here because God created us. That's what the Bible says. Verse 1, chapter 1, Genesis, right at the start. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. So why did he do that? And why did he put us in it? Well, it says then, Ephesians chapter 1 says that he predestined us in love. So the plans which he had for us, he made in love. So the first thing that we can, we can deduce about the plans which God has for creation is that he did it out of love. Um, God is a trinity. God is a community. Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, we call Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. He lacks nothing in there. And within that community, within that loving community of the Trinity, there was a desire to share that love with things unyet created. So they, so God created the creation so that he could love it. And um, we have the same feeling too. When we want children, we want to have children to love people who don't yet exist. It's the same desire because it comes from God's desire, because he made us in his image. Um, why else did he create us? Well, again, in Genesis chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible, um, to rule over the world with God, to rule over creation with him. Steve spoke about this last week. Um, a, another reason why God created us is, is for intimacy. He wanted to be intimate with us. Again, right at the start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, there's that really intimate verse about God walking with them in the cool of the day, just being intimate with them. And um, Jesus, uh, God says in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of the bit describing him creating creation, it says, it was very good. So he made it, and it was good. It was very good. It was really good. It was great. It was fantastic. That's great, isn't it? God made the world because he wanted to love the world, and he wanted to be intimate with the world, and he made it, and it was really good, and that's fantastic. Hooray! Um, But can we stop there? Is that it? Because... If, that God's, if that's God's plan, then no offence, don't tell God I said this, but it's not working. Because the world isn't very good. You may have noticed, you know, this world isn't very good. It's full of suffering. It really is. War, disease, poverty, relationships break down. 
do we have intimacy with God? Like, in, like we described in the, in the, that first verse in the Bible, first um, Genesis chapter 3 there, that he walked them in the cool of the day. Do we have that kind of intimacy? Well, many people don't even think that God exists, let alone know him, let alone have intimacy with him. So something somewhere has gone very, very badly wrong. Something somewhere has gone really, really badly wrong. And that given that it's not his, that it's not how it should be, God said that the creation was very good. Given that it's not like that, what is God going to do about it? Is he going to do anything about it? What are his, based on his values, what does he then want to go and do with the world? Given that the world has got into this situation, what is God going to do about it? So how does his values then influence the long-term goals which he has that he wants to achieve in this world? Well, two things I want to talk about. One, God is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And um, people like to say, Christians like to say, people in churches like to say, like to be at pains to point out to people that God isn't angry. It's okay. He's not angry. The the phrase it's often used is that God is not going to get you with a big stick. Um, but unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that actually God is angry. Um, and it's hard to read the Bible and not come to the conclusion that he's angry, that he's not angry. In fact, here's just a random one I typed in. Um, Isaiah 63, verse 6. He tr- I trampled the nations in my anger. There you go. Um, I mean, God isn't just angry. He's not a one-dimensional character. He has a complete personality. He is a God of love. So we need to put this in context. But he is angry. And personally, I think it's reasonable... I think it's reasonable that God is angry. I mean, look at the world. Look at how it is. I mean, I'm angry, and I expect that most of you are too. And if you're not, you're probably not paying attention. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take long to find things to be angry about. I mean, just look at the news for a start. Again, war. Disease, poverty, relationships break down. People treat people appallingly. People do awful, terrible things to other people. And the correct response is anger. It's it's injustice. It shouldn't happen. But it does happen. And the correct human response is to be angry. Or, I guess sometimes we're not because we're just so overwhelming. What can we do about it? Um, So just... The, the big thing on the news at the moment, this war, or this, what's going on in Syria. So, innocent people have been attacked with chemical weapons. Uh, it's on the news all the time yesterday. Do you think God's angry about that? I think he is. I, th- I mean, innocent people getting, I mean, I'm not getting into who did it or whatever the politics of it, just the fact that it happened, that someone was standing there in the street and then some chemical weapon came and got them. Does that make God angry? It makes me angry. It should make God angry. And I mean, if he, he's got an empathy problem if he doesn't get angry about it. I mean, and again, if, if, you, if you love anyone, you'll know what it means to get angry. If you're a parent, you'll know what it feels to get I mean, I remember when, when Ruben, my first one, when we put him in like a little, um, you know, there's little play groups and there's other little, and he's just crawling around. And some other child took his toy. 
Ah, like the, the anger. Ah, he took my toy. Just the feeling of, that's my child. Like, it's so impossible. It's like, don't overreact. I am overreacting. Um, it's, you just get, get back people you care about and people you love. You get angry when injustice happens. You don't have to be a parent if you have anyone you care about or love. Um, and we also get angry. We like to get angry with this one. When people wrong us. When people do wrongdoings to us. If you've... Yeah, anyway. People wrong us. And it makes us angry. Because we get angry when we perceive injustice. And the world is a very unjust place. And um, it should make us angry. And the fact that God is angry is, is, is two things. It's good news and it's bad news. Okay? I've got some good news. I've got some bad news. I'm going to start with the good news. Okay? The good news is that because he's angry, it means he's going to do something about it. Yay! So, yeah, God is going to ensure that justice prevails in the world. He is going to. He's angry and he's going to do something about it. Because it shouldn't be happening. It says in Psalm 89, verse 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, of your authority. Um. People say, how can God be a God of love when there's so much suffering in the world? Well, he is going to do something about it. He is doing something. He has done something about it, just not in the way that we might have expected. So it's good news. It really is good news that God is motivated by a sense of this is unjust, this is not right, to do something about injustice in the world. He's motivated, so we can we can be really pleased because the injustice that we see won't last forever. It says in the Bible that God has heard the cry of the oppressed. It goes up to his ears and he's heartbroken. It says that in all their, in all their grief, he too was grieved. So that's, that's the good news. Yeah, the good news is God is going to do something about it. He's got a will. He's got a purpose. Unfortunately, here comes the bad news. Okay. The bad news is that we're all guilty. Yeah, Jesus told this story. You might have heard it about the man with the, 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 the talking about someone who had a, a speck in his eye when he had a plank in his eye. So he was going around saying, "Ah, oh, you do this and you do that and you do this," and Jesus is like, "Well, you do the same thing." Um, so the same thing that we accuse others of doing, we do ourselves. We have all lied. We've all cheated. We've all hurt people in our anger. We've all said and done things that we knew were wrong. And it turns out that the judgment that we were so longing for, we want justice. This injustice has to stop. The judgment that we longed for turns out to be our own undoing. Because we want justice, but in doing so, we condemn ourselves at the same time. And you might say, well, why doesn't it have to be like that? Like, not all wrongdoing is at an equal level. So, what I just talked about in Syria, I haven't done anything that bad. I've never put chemical weapons on people. And you're right, it's not the same. But God is a God of perfect justice. So we might be able to say, okay, that's really bad, but like what I do isn't quite so bad. But the line's got to go somewhere. Where's the line going to be? Well, God's line is perfection. We tend to set the line maybe a little bit above ourselves, yeah, everything I've done is not so bad, but beyond that, oh, that's not so good. Well, God's the same, but he's perfect, so too bad for us. Um, it says in Romans, first chapter 3, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, this is where the bad news gets even worse. Okay? The bad news is going to get even badder. Okay? This word, Romans chapter 3, I just read there, for all have sinned. We get this word sin. So I, re- I looked it up in the dictionary. This is one definition. A deliberate violation of moral law. A deliberate violation of moral law. And the Bible says that everybody has sinned. Everybody has done that. So we want there to be justice. And we want God to ensure that everybody gets what they're due. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says that people are destined to die once and then face judgment. Because God has decided that there will be a time when everyone must give account of their lives. And I don't want to read this verse because it's one of those ones which is a bit scary. It says this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we want justice, but justice means that we have to be condemned for the things that we've done wrong too. And the punishment, the punishment for sin is what we call hell. Eternal separation from God and we receive in full the consequences for our actions. And it, it doesn't give me any pleasure to say this. I don't want to be standing here saying this right now. I really don't want to be, because it's awful. It's horrible. It's really, really horrible and horrible. It's not nice. I'd much rather be saying nice things to you. But it's the truth that is in the Bible and what we believe as Christians. And love always tells the truth. Because God isn't going to let this go on forever. He isn't going to let this injustice continue forever. There will be a day when he'll say, that is enough. And everybody must give an account for what they have done. And God will ensure on that day that justice prevails. And that's actually going to happen. There is going to be a day when God says, that's enough. Everybody must give account for themselves. And that's the bad news, because it doesn't turn out good for us. However, I said there was some good news and some bad news, but now there's some even better news. Ha <laughs> I didn't tell you about that. So there's going to be some even better good news, yeah? Really, really good news. We had good news and then like really bad news, and now we're going to get some really, really good news. Really good news. Right, at the start, we talked about God's values, okay? And the values that you have determines what you do. So one of the values that God is, is he's got to have justice in the world. So he's going to give the, he's going to bring the world to account. Another value that God has is that we are incredibly precious to him. We are incredibly precious to him. It says in Psalm 103, verse 8, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And even though we we deserve all this punishment, we deserve to be punished for our wrongdoing, we deserve to receive consequences for our sin, God could not bear to see his own children, his own creation, undergo such suffering, even though they deserved it. The next verse, Psalm 103, verse 9 and 10. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. Let me read that again at last bit. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Well, how can that be? Didn't I just say that God was going to bring justice? God can't just, just forgive sin. He can't just ignore it because he's got to uphold justice. So I, I mean, I said that as a teacher. If I, if I see, I mean, it happens. If I see one kid being really mean to another one, doing something really, I can't just say to him, well, just forgive him. Just forgive him. 
Because it's not right, is it? It's not fair. I can't just say, oh, just forget about it. Yeah, just forgive him. It's not, it's not right, it's not fair. Because forgiveness isn't justice. Forgiveness is the opposite of justice. Forgiveness is an absence of justice. So, so God had this conundrum, two conflicting values that he, he really loves us. We're really precious to him. And yet justice has to be upheld. So God, he found a way. He found a way to maintain justice and fairness, but at the same time, show us mercy, love, compassion, and forgiveness. God has found a way, this is a really good news, really, really good news. God has found a way to let us off the consequences of our actions and still maintain justice. Because he couldn't, he couldn't bear to see us punished even though we deserved it, because the punishment would be hell. So God came up with a plan, yeah? He's, he's got his values, he's going to come up with a plan. His plan, this was God's plan, okay? I know it sounds pretty crazy, bear with me, okay? His plan was that somebody else would take the punishment. His, that was his plan. Okay, I, there has to be some kind of justice, there has to be some kind of consequences, but I don't want them to have it, so someone else is going to have to have it. But it had to be someone who hadn't ever sinned, because otherwise if they were punished, it would just be the punishment for their sins. So God had to find someone who was without sin, someone who was perfect, okay? And this was the plan. This is God's plan. The plan was that God himself would take the punishment for our sins. That's the plan. The plan is God himself will take the punishment for our sins. That's pretty cool. God himself would take the punishment for our sins. This is where Jesus comes in. I've heard about Jesus in the church. I talk about Jesus a lot. This is where Jesus comes in. God is Trinity, I said that earlier. So God, God the Son became a man called Jesus. Jesus apparently... Jesus means saviour, bit of a clue there in the name. Um, and the reason God became a man, Jesus, and lived on earth about 2,000 years ago in a place that we call Palestine, Israel, the reason God did this is so that God could die and be punished for our sins. That's why he did it. Okay, let me read from the Bible because it says it better. Romans verse chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Isaiah 53 says this, 4 to 6, Surely he took up our pain our pain, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him, Jesus himself, the iniquity of us all. So that was God's plan. That was God's plan. That he himself would take the punishment for our sin. That's pretty cool. (laughs) He really did that. You could... 
I was preparing this preach, and then it was early in the week, and I just went to Claire, I just said, he, he actually did that. Like, he actually, like, God actually died. Like, he actually became, like, if I'd gone back 2,000 years ago, I could have seen it happening. There was a moment when God really died and really took all our sins on himself. It really, that really, there was a moment when that actually happened. So that was the plan. So that when God calls the whole world to account, as he must, as we want him to, when justice is restored, we get away with it. You know, we get away from the consequences of our own wrongdoing, and those consequences would have been awful and eternal. So, I haven't forgotten. Coming back to the original question, what is God's will? Okay. 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 4. This is a pretty good one. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. He wants, given that we're in the world now and given that all this stuff has happened, God wants all people to be saved and he wants everyone to come to knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to know that there's a judgment coming but that what he's done to save them from it. And But it's not enough for us just to know this. We need to be saved by it. We need to respond to it and make it have an effect on our lives so again come back to me being a teacher i'm asking the kids for the i'm asking the kids for the homework and they say i've done it i've done my homework brilliant give it to me then it's at home well it's no good there i often say to them if you make your sandwiches but leave them at home you are still hungry it's not how it works you have to give it to me, then I'm happy. It doesn't matter that God died for you on the, on the cross if it's still over there somewhere. It has to take effect in your life. And now we need to respond to it. And how do we do that? Well, it's actually really quite easy. Okay? You don't need to... Just gonna say, mm. I've got to say it now, haven't I? It's really easy. Um... I'm not going to. It's really easy. All we have to do is just admit to God that we are wrong, that we've sinned, that we're sorry for what we've done, and that we thank God for taking the punishment for our sins, and then we receive his forgiveness. That's all we have to do. You don't need to go to anyone. You don't need to speak to anyone. You can speak directly to God in your heart or out loud. I do have a recommend that you speak to someone, speak to me or to Rob or to Steve, so that we can help you understand what's happening, get involved in the church, so you can uh, get some support. Right, I don't have time to talk about all this now, but what Jesus did on the cross does more than just take away punishment for sin. It does a whole lot more than that. Okay, I'm not going to go into it all now, because I just want to talk about that in particular, but it does a whole lot more. If we do this, if we respond to what he did, this crazy plan that God had to take the punishment for our sins, we become a new creation, the Bible says, a whole new creation. We're born again. We're actually adopted into his family. Jesus is our brother. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So I just thought, Jesus is our brother. Anyway, um, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We feel the Holy Spirit, so we're close to God. 
And he gives us power to live a new life. And in the end, actually, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he will actually get rid of this whole world that is full of sin and make a new heaven and a new earth. There is no sin, and we will live in perfection with God forever. This is what it says in Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the, th- from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down because these words are true and trustworthy. So what Jesus did on the cross is more than just take away punishment for sins. It's a whole load of stuff. Someone, I heard someone describe it like this. I thought it was pretty cool, and I've remembered it. I don't know who it was, but it was years ago, but I thought it was so cool. I, I, I've remembered it. Okay, he says the, what Jesus did on the cross, three things that he did on the cross, and there's three of them, and they all begin with the same letter. That's how I remembered it. Um, okay, so first of all, it takes away the penalty for sin. So when we have to give an account of ourselves, we don't have to suffer punishment for what we did. Okay, The penalty, the price for sin is gone. And that's happened in the past. That's already happened. If you're a Christian now, that's happened. That's already happened. The penalty for sin, hell, has been dealt with. Okay, right now, the cross breaks the power of sin over our lives. It breaks the power of sin over our lives. And in the future, we will be completely removed from the presence of sin. So past, that's already done. The penalty of sin has been paid. Right now God breaks the power of sin over our lives and in the future we, there won't be any more presence of sin. Power, no. I've got it wrong, haven't I? Penalty, power, presence. So on the cross Jesus broke the power of sin over our lives. It says in John 8:36, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And we often talk about it breaking the power of our sin, the sin that we have committed, breaking that power, but it also means breaking the power of sins that have been committed against us. And I really believe today that there are people here who are living with the consequences of people who have sinned against them. People who have wronged you. And there are always going to be consequences, but I believe that there are people who are living under the power of other people's sin, who've sinned against them. But the cross has power over all sin in our life. Not just the sins that we've committed, it includes sins that have been done against us. And God wants to set you free right now from the power of other people's sins in your life. God is doing amazing miracles. I know right now in this place, in this church, in this group of people, God is doing amazing things to break people free from the power of sin, and I believe He's still doing it today. And I really think there are people here who God wants to break free from the power of sins that have been committed against them. So that's it, really. Um, I'd like to pray for us. Is that okay? Can I pray for you? You'd like to stand up? I can pray for you. Hmm. 
Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Power of God. Power of God. Power of God. Power of God. Hmm. God, I pray right now that you would release power to us. God, that there are people who are here who are loved by you, who you have saved and called. I pray that you would break the power of sin in their life. If God is calling anything to mind, I believe he's doing it so that he can break the power of it now. The Holy Spirit is powerful. He doesn't need us to to hype it up. He'll come in power and he'll set us free. Presence of God is here now. God, I thank you that what you did, you you had that amazing idea, God, that you would take the punishment that we deserved, that you took our shame on the cross. Rarely would anyone die for a good man, but you died for us, and we were still sinners. God, I pray that the truth of that would sink in, that you have done that for us, that you really did do that, that that would guide us, that would direct us, that we would know this is God's will, that we would be saved and know him. So come right now and release, Jesus, the power that you won on the cross to set us free from sin that you have destroyed and defeated. Power of God.